Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you now the same thing that we ask you every single week, to be here with us. We trust that you are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. One of my favorite ways to spend free time is haunting bookstores. I love books. I love to read. I love holding books. I love flipping through books. I love smelling them. I love basically everything about it. I also love, uh, just as an aside, that a bookstore is one of the only places that it's okay for a living person to haunt. fan of haunting for a long time, and I like to say that I haunt things, and I can say it with a bookstore, and you all understand what I'm saying. Very cool, I think. One thing that I'm sure you've noticed, if you've spent any time in a bookstore, is the predominance of the self-help section. And if you haven't noticed it, I'm sure you've had a preacher tell you about it, or a motivational speaker, or whoever, the idea that the self-help section is growing and growing and growing. I was just in a store last week, and I can vouch for the fact that this is true. This section, which was once sort of in the corner and largely untrafficked, is now in the front and center and packed with people all the time. The self-help section of the bookstore. And of course, it's not just the bookstore. Every talk show that you see on TV is trying to get you to help yourself be better. Even the Home Depot comes off as the author of a self-help bestseller when they say, you can do it. We can help. Now, self-help is huge for a very simple reason. We all want to be better than we are. Or more pointedly, We all know that we're not the person we ought to be or wish we were. Sometimes, of course, we feel okay. I mean, I have my mornings when I look in the mirror and I'm like, okay, you know, that'll do for today. Sometimes we're actually in the store to get some other kind of book, maybe a mystery that we can read this summer on the beach. But then, of course, we start to think about how much skin we're going to be showing on the beach while we're reading that mystery, and we send ourselves straight back to the self-help section. (laughs) You know how this works, right? Just when you're starting to feel successful, you read an interview with Warren Buffett. Just when you're finally satisfied with the way you look, you watch a movie with Brad Pitt or Jennifer Lawrence in it. For our purposes today, we might say, just when you're starting to feel like a good Christian, someone offends you, and you start to find yourself thinking, let's say, unchristian thoughts about them. Now see, true greatness of any kind, true accomplishment, true beauty, true goodness, true glory, usually serves to remind us of how unglorious 
we are. I see siblings who seem to have a great relationship, and before I'm happy for them, I immediately start to feel terribly about how infrequently I speak to my sister. I see other families' Facebook photos of the wonderful time they're having, and I start to wonder if my children wouldn't be better off with a more caring and popular father. And so I go back to the self-help section. (laughs) Now that's real or metaphorical. Maybe you wouldn't be caught dead in the self-help section. I probably wouldn't be either because I don't want anybody else thinking that I need help. But I am no stranger to efforts to improve myself. We're all like this. We're all self-improvers. That's why the self-help section is the largest in any bookstore. But there's something going on with the self-help section. And the evidence is this. When I saw the giant self-help section in the store that I was in last week, I was in a used bookstore. Right? The self-help titles are not just the most purchased books, they're the most returned books too, because the struggle for an improved self is seemingly never successful. The book doesn't ultimately work, and you return it and try something new. The great reformer, Martin Luther, knew this. He said that the quest for glory could never be satisfied. That there was no you that you would ultimately be happy with. You would always be reaching for something even more glorious. You see, we're not happy with just being more successful than Harvey, who lives down the street. We want to be Bill Gates. We're not satisfied with just being more attractive, popular, and funny than the, uh, uh, the other people we work with. We want to be Brad Pitt. And you know, I was thinking... How long has Brad Pitt been the standard for coolness and attractiveness? Like 25 years. He's a machine. I mean, Chris Pratt is sort of challenging at the moment, but Brad Pitt has still got to be the gold standard, right? Now, maybe you're thinking, I don't want to be Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt's lame. First of all, you're crazy. Brad Pitt is awesome. But secondly, it doesn't matter, right? You have something, someone, some idea in your life that is the shining light that turns you into a wilting flower, some standard you're striving for that you just can't seem to achieve, some goal that seems far away and just isn't getting any closer, some bar that you just can't jump over, and it makes you want to give up, and so you do and you return the self-help book to the store. Now, Scripture calls this feeling, this idea of never being able to measure up the work of the law. Now, the law, which you've all heard all about, the expectations and standards of life, makes a Brad Pitt-style claim on all of us. Right? The law of the world says, Brad Pitt is awesome, and you're not. Think about it. Who is the standard 
for those who want to consider themselves successful? Who do you think about when you think about success? Whoever it is, that's a standard, that's a law that you're struggling to reach. Brad Pitt might be the standard for those who want to consider themselves cool, attractive, or funny. Bill Gates might be the standard for those who want to consider themselves successful. But many of us, I would say all of us, have standards in our lives that don't even set the bar that high. Your more well-regarded sister who went to law school. Your friends who don't seem to have to worry about how much their vacations cost. And of course, every one of us lives under the harshest taskmaster of all, our own expectations of ourselves. And of course, there's a law, a standard that we haven't even mentioned yet, right? The expectations of Almighty God. And listen, there's a good reason that this feeling that we don't measure up, this struggle, this haunting of the self-help section is common to all humanity. Remember Isaiah's vision. He says, in the year that King Uzziah Died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty. The hem of his robe filled the temple. This is how awesome God is, right? The temple is full of just this part of his robe. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. Almighty God is so holy that the shouts of holy, holy, holy are shaking the temple and filling it with smoke. And Isaiah says, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, I submit to you that Isaiah's reaction here is perfectly appropriate, and it's just what we've been talking about, except elevated to an exponential level, right? If being in the presence of Bill Gates makes you feel unsuccessful, if being in the presence of your more well-regarded sibling makes you feel like a failure, imagine what coming into the presence of Almighty God will do. Six-winged angels flying around the room, filled with smoke, the temple shaking, and a God so awesome that just the hem of his robe fills the temple. Feel like Isaiah does. Feel like you're going to die. The gap between his awesomeness and your you-ness is so profound that you might as well just give everything up. But here's the thing. This is what the law, the standard, the high bar is supposed to do. When God gives the law, the rules, the standards, 
they are intended to show you that you are failing to uphold it. Brad Pitt and Jennifer Lawrence make you feel unattractive because that's the way the world works. When God says, love your enemy, you're supposed to think about how unloving you are. When he says, turn the other cheek, you're supposed to realize how infrequently you do that. When he says, honor your father and mother, you're supposed to think about how you're dropping the ball. And when Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect, you're supposed to feel like Isaiah does. Woe is me. We are a people of unclean lips. If the law of the world is just that Brad Pitt is awesome and you're not, the law of God is that he is holy and you're not. St. Paul says this clearly in Romans chapter 3 when he says, through the law, we become conscious of our sin, right? The law holds that mirror in front of each one of us and shows us how sinful we are. That's why the law exists, to show us our sin. But, praise God, this is not the end of the story. It's not the end of Isaiah's vision, and it's not the end for us either. Listen, then, thank God for the word then, then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed. And your sin is blotted out. The law has done its work. It has shown us our sin. We've recognized our inability to help ourselves and we've returned that self-help book or that shelf of self-help books to the store. Now it's time for the gospel. The good news that help has come from outside ourselves. Not self-help, other help. In the Isaiah story, this help comes in the form of a live coal taken from the altar. But the touch of the coal to his lips cleanses Isaiah of his sin. And this coal represents our Savior, Jesus Christ, now listen to another scene, a very similar scene from the throne room of Almighty God. This one taken from Revelation 7. The setting is almost identical. After this I looked, says St. John, who is having this vision, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. 
And he said, listen carefully, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Did you hear it? These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. The great tribulation of running back and forth to the self-help section, trying desperately to find something that will work. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. Never again will we have a need that goes so unfulfilled that we have to try to find the solution within ourselves. These are they who have discovered that self-help is no help at all. These are they who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. In this second scene from the throne room of Almighty God, the burning coal from Isaiah's vision gets an identity. It is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And this is the whole story of Christianity. We flawed humans come into contact with a holy God through his perfect law and are crushed by it. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Honor your father and mother. Be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. These laws, these standards lay us to waste. Woe is me, we cry. We are people of unclean lips. From a people of unclean lips. God's holy standards shine a light on that part of ourselves that we don't want anybody to see, that part that identifies us as sinners. But the Christian story doesn't end there. Your story doesn't end there. Jesus Christ, the righteous, intervenes. He is the burning coal that cleanses us. He is the shed blood that washes us white. He dies the death that our disobedience has earned, and he gives us the life that his obedience deserves. Our sin is given to him in exchange for his righteousness. The self-help section is out of business. God's first word is a killer. I am holy, you are not. But God's final word is a savior. I have sent my son to be holy for you. Amen.